Our scripture reading this morning is Genesis 17, the whole chapter, so get ready. It's a good one. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a, man be shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, yeah. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham 
Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're going to try to do the family-friendly version today of this story. Thanks, Anna, for reading that. We're probably already getting some questions, parents, on some of the strange words we have this morning in this passage. Um, but nevertheless, it's a great passage. Why do we do this at Bethany? Why do we read these long passages? You might be here wondering, why do they do this? Why do they open their Bibles and read through these long passages? And I've said this many times, but for the most part, what I say now after this is less important than what we just had happen. The reading of God's Word is God's Word read together. And I love the idea that when we finish this Genesis uh, series, the entire book of Genesis will be have read here in this room to our congregation. Uh, it's a blessing to hear that story. We probably haven't heard it in a while to be back in it and hear it all before we talk about it. So let's do that today. Would you pray with me? Lord, bless your Word. Open our hearts to it now. Help us understand this strange story and what it means to us in 2021. In Christ's name, amen. Well, how long does it take God, we'll start with the question this morning, to teach us a lesson when we fall into sin? When we take uh, matters into our own hands, we call it kind of that, that phrase, taking matters into our own hands to help, help God out where he, we think he's fallen short or he's not come through on his end of the bargain. You know, God, you promised me safety. Well, I don't feel very safe with the way my family's been treating me. I, I'm going to get my own revenge. Or, you know, God, you promised security, and financially, I don't feel it. What does it really matter if I fudge on my taxes a little bit? Or what does it matter if I don't tithe to my church? I, I don't feel secure financially. Are you really in control, God? Are you really in control of my life? In fact, you know, I kind of like the feeling I get, safety and control that I get over my life as I click from image to image on my computer. I get, the, I get a sense of control. I don't feel like you're in control, God. Or you promise joy, and I don't feel a lot of it. I only feel joy in her arms, and I know we're not married yet, but I need joy, God. Or take Abraham. You, God, you promised me an heir. Okay, Hagar, maidservant to my wife, let's have a child. God doesn't seem to be keeping up his end of the bargain. We take it into our own hands. Every sin is a self-manufactured solution to not believing the promises of God. In the Garden of Eden, did God really say to Abram, Sarai, and Hagar, let's have a child this way? God said an heir, but we don't have it. How long does it take in those times for God to teach us these lessons, to, 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 to bring us further along in wisdom, to trust Him, even if it means waiting or denying our self-manufactured solutions to what God is not accomplishing for us? Well, from the birth of Ishmael, God allows 13 years of domestic turmoil to brew between this triangle of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar before renewing the covenant, which we've got today, with Abram. 
with new names and a new hope. Sometimes he takes a long time. Sometimes he waits a long time. Even though he forgives our sins, sometimes he lets us stew in the consequences of it, doesn't he? The consequences of taking matters into our own hands to teach us wisdom. Well, this morning we see in this passage, as Anna read, and we're going to unpack now, God breaks the 13 years of silence. God initiates with Abram. As we look at this covenant sign of circumcision, we're going to unpack these four new names that we get in this passage today. As God reveals himself in this passage, um, and find new hope as Abram did after 13 years of silence. So let's do that in this new year, looking at the covenants of God and getting hope with these eternal promises. Let's look at the first name. The first name is this. El Shaddai is God Almighty. It's the first new name we get in this passage. Well, we know it's 13 years later because the passage David taught on last week, uh, chapter 16, ends with uh, Abram was 86 when Ishmael was born. And chapter 17 begins with he's now 99. Imagine this now. 13 years of stewing in the consequences of your sin as Abram took matters into his own hands. What were those family dinners like with Sarai and Hagar and Abram at the table? Please pass the butter, Hagar, right? Can you chew a little quieter, Abram? What were those dinners like? 13 years. All that to say, Abram and his family were in a time of gloom when we get to chapter 17. And God breaks out of it, reminding them of his character by revealing a new name for himself, El Shaddai. It's best translated, we think, as Almighty God, revealing tones of God's omnipotence, his power, his sovereignty, his ability to accomplish what he has promised. Isn't that the very thing Abram needed in this moment? And in light of that, he calls Abram, in verse 1 there, to a, a fresh obedience. Walk before me, El Shaddai. Walk before me, be blameless. In other words, lead a righteous life, a holy life, Abram. You know how committed I am to you. I will save you. I will do it. Do you remember the covenant, Abram, the cutting of the animals? So live as one who is deserving of that covenant, even though you aren't. Live as one who's fully devoted to me, as the recipient of divine mercy and favor. I am El Shaddai, Almighty God. Well, the application for us in that is this. Our knowledge of God, who He is, when He gives us His names, our knowledge of who He is directs our living for God, as it did for Abram here. Here's my name, now live this way. Here's who I am, Abram, now live this way. God was saying to Abram here, listen, Abram, uh, you may be trying to bring about my promises with your own sexual escapades, Abram, but I can do it. I can accomplish what I promised to you. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Now be faithful, Abram. We need to be reminded of who God is over and over and over again. That's why the Old Testament is so important in our lives. I mean, God reveals so much of himself It's the majority of our scripture. To leave that out, we miss out on the rich tapestry of these stories and who God is. El Shaddai. It's used 48 times in the Old Testament. Do you know who uses it the most? It's very telling. 
48 times in the Old Testament, and 31 of them appear in the book of Job. (laughs) The book of Job. Who needed more encouragement than Job? Who needed more uh, encouragement of the promises of God and that the God who made the promise could actually keep them than Job, whose life fell apart? We've had a Job-like year. (laughs) If God in your heart is this little puny figure who's at the mercy of our human wills and our desperate attempts at bringing about His plans, then your life will look puny and desperate and be filled with the gloom and strife that had filled Abram's life for these past 13 years, and your faith will shrivel, and you will take matters into your own hands. But if he is God Almighty El Shaddai and you believe that, doctrine drives decisions. As you think, as you believe, as you love in your heart, so goes your life. Our knowledge of God directs our living for God. Our our life groups at Bethany Church are specifically designed for this, to take what we know about God and make it reality, make it life-changing. As our knowledge of God goes, so our life goes. And how does Abram respond in this passage? Hearing this new name of God, he responds on his face. Here in a reverential commitment to God Almighty. It's our first name, El Shaddai. Let's look at our second. God explains the covenant when Abram is now named father of multitude. Abram now, too, gets a new name. In our culture, still even today, it's only the parents who get to name their children, right? Can you imagine the absurdity if in the hospital a nurse asked the parents, a nurse came and said, well, what's her name? Yeah, this is Evangeline, and the nurse said to you, ah, that just won't do. <laughs> her name is now Elizabeth. Can you imagine how absurd that would be if that was to happen? No, the parents named the child. Well, here God packs the covenant promises into, he writes them right into Abram's name, Abraham. You know, this whole series I've been trying to be really uh, stick with Abram and not say Abraham, even though I've been really tempted to. Finally, I can say Abraham and, and it'd be appropriate. But I've been doing that intentionally to point to the fact that only God has the right to change a name, especially of his people and the significance in it when he does it. And now we get here to say, finally, Abraham, as we all know him more than Abram. Abraham. He gives Abraham a personal sign, which is his name, which means father of multitude. So think about it. Now that his name's been changed, every time someone called his name, he would remember the promises of God. Remember the covenant? Hey, father of multitude, where do you want the sheep to pasture? every time. The irony there that he has still had no children, really, from his, his wife, but the opportunity, too, to trust every time his name was called each and every day. Hey, Father of Multitude, where's your multitude? Hey, you said it, Father of Multitude. It's your name. I didn't. Actually, God said it. God named him. God named him because God is really the only one who can actually name it and claim it. Only God. No one else can do that. So what's our name? 
Whose name do you carry? Is it Christ? Is it Christian? You've taken on the name of Christ if you're a follower of Christ. You are a Christian. We use that term. Where is your Christ, they might say, you Christian? Where is his saving at, Christian? Look at your life, Christian. Look at the world. Where is your Christ, you Christian? You are a Christian if you follow Christ. Do you think when you hear that word or it's applied to you, you think of the new covenant, what the table represents, the elements we'll take today, and all the blessings that it contains in that word, Christian? Do you, when you identify with Christ's name, as Abram meant father of multitude? You should. It's why we pray in Jesus' name. It's why we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's why we call ourselves Christians, disciples of Jesus, to identify with all that the name contains, every bit of it. Well, for Abram here, as the name was brought to him, Abram to Abraham, there was an addition to the blessing of the covenant. There was more in this name. And here's what we'll look at. There was a multitude of nations, lands, but also something new. Kings. Nations, kings, and lands. There's a new revelation to Abraham here. The nations and lands were already promised. But listen to verse 6, or follow along if you got it. I will make you exceedingly fruitful... And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So not only would Abraham have many children from his family, but from his family would come some kind of royal line. Royalty, kings, would come from this shepherd, really. A wealthy one, but a shepherd nonetheless. Kings would come. And can you hear, as we're just post-Christmas now, the echoes of the Christmas story here? Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of who? Abraham. The son of Abraham. That's why Matthew starts that way, the Christmas story. The earthly king David, who was the son of Abraham, from his line comes the eternal king, Jesus Christ. I will be your God, Abraham, and you will be my people, and this will go on for generations, and kings will come from you. Oh, yes, it will take thousands of years, Abraham, but it will happen. What promises do you need to remind yourself of as we start 2021? What has God promised to us yet that he hasn't realized yet, but have been secured by caring and bearing the name of Christ. Remember, we sang it in one of our songs this morning, but here's the verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God, all, not just a few, all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it's through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. In this new year, let us live up to or into our name, Christian. Let us live with a certainty that whatever this year brings, God will keep his promises. God will keep them. What's in a name Shakespeare wrote, Hamlet, uh, they said in Hamlet? A lot. A lot. 
Christian, you are Christ's. You are His. And as He promised in another biblical moment in the New Testament, another name change, He said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. It's you and I. He will do it. And He's given us signs to show His promise. Let's look how serious God is with the sign He gave Abraham. What is it? What is this sign? Circumcision is this. It's the external covenant sign signifying an internal spiritual commitment. So the second half of this passage, as God always does, He gives to Abraham a sign. He always gives signs. He gives him a sign of the covenant. Look at 10 and 11 with me of chapter 17. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, circumcision already existed in Abraham's day. Others, cultures, and other people practiced it. Here is just given new meaning by God. It's given new meaning. As bread and wine already existed and were now given new meaning by Jesus in his life. The inauguration of the new covenant in his death. So let's talk about a few, three things quickly about circumcision. Here's the first thing that we need to see. It's a sign of physical consecration is the word. Physical consecration. And for circumcision, when it took place, it was, it was given so that the meaning for this person uh, was that this person was set apart. This person was consecrated by God, set apart for him, belonged to him, was to live for him. As, he even says, as God said to Abram, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. By undergoing circumcision, it meant that this person identified with the covenant God made with Abraham. It was a reminder, much like a wedding ring that you might wear. A wedding ring, a reminder of the promises that you've made. A reminder of the promises your spouse has made. But here it's a reminder of the promises God made to his people. And the promises that the people would live for God. A physical setting apart that with whole body, soul, and life, you would be set apart to live for your God. Like the covenant with Adam that Adam had, Sabbath rest was a sign. The covenant with Noah earlier in our series, the rainbow as a sign. And so now the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. And as bread and wine take on new meaning, as we said, baptism takes on new meaning, the cross takes on new meaning. The cross existed before Jesus, but in him it takes on new meaning. God has always worked through rituals and symbols and signs, and He gives them the meaning, much like He gives the name to Abraham. He gives the meaning to the sign. But, like any sign or ritual or thing we do, it can become absolutely empty. Even as baptism, one of our signs, or the Lord's Supper, can become an empty ritual or habit. So could circumcision. So here's the second thing. Circumcision was to be this, the fruit, 
Faith was always the root. Even for Abraham, circumcision was the fruit, the outpouring of faith that was there. Circumcision was to be an act of obedience, an act from a heart, a heart that was circumcised, a heart that was consecrated and set apart for God. The outward symbol was just the the fruit of the root of a faithful, circumcised heart. It was to be an act of obedience, a heart that was set apart for God in loving, faithful obedience, which the physical act of cutting off the foreskin symbolized. Yeah, they knew this early on. This isn't just a New Testament application. Deuteronomy 36 says this, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, set it apart. It's the seed of our will, our emotions, our desires, our actions, the heart, and the heart of your offspring, so that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you, so that you may live. They knew this early on. And in the same way many Jews practice circumcision today to identify with the Jewish national people, Jews in Abraham's day could practice the the ceremony in an empty, meaningless way too. Because apart from faith, it meant nothing. We know Abraham's justified by his faith. Romans 9, Paul takes this theme up and he says, it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel, think circumcised, belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham, because there is offspring, think circumcision. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. There was always a national, physical, ethnic Offspring Israel, as there is today. But there was a remnant inside that. A true spiritual Israel, like Abraham, that believed the promises. Faith was the root. Circumcision was the fruit. Faith was Abraham's righteousness. Circumcision was the fruit of that. First Corinthians, Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God, meaning that it's an obedient heart that loves the Lord, a circumcised heart that matters. That's why we must double down at Bethany Church by focusing on heart transformation, discipleship making, sanctification, the killing of sin, whatever you want to name it. We've got to double down on that again and again. That's why accountability through things like covenant membership, life groups, and church involvement matter. Who knows if you're growing if no one knows you here, right? How do you know if you're going to grow in 2021 without interacting with with Christ's body in a deep way? It could all become empty ritual, just like circumcision can be. Because you can attend church, you can give your tithe, you can get baptized, you can take communion, you can teach Sunday school, and it all mean nothing without a circumcised heart. Nothing. Neither circumcision counts nor uncircumcision. It matters. And the final truth circumcision teaches is this, that that we get out of this new covenant with Abraham is a reminder of our own inability to save ourselves or our own inability to produce the blessings of God or, in Abraham's case, the future seed to come. 
the covenant came through with Abraham, pain and blood. Did it not? As we all know what it is. Do you think you'd be re- remember being circumcised at 99? Without anesthesia? Abraham, do you remember? Of course. Of course I remember. And it's no accident that the sign of the promise for Abraham to have lots of children was put on the member of his body that could bring children. Do you get what I'm saying there? I think you do. In fact, he had just taken this member and used this member to try and bring about God's promises with Hagar. It's no accident that God put the sign right there on Abraham's body. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah? (laughs) And the fact remains then, as the symbol and the sign was placed there on Abraham, that God would bring the future seed. God would bring the child, the children, the family, the kings. A miracle birth to Sarah. Our best plans, our best works, your best you, your best effort, your New Year's resolution, whatever it might be, can't make you fit for God. Circumcision is the sign that we are utterly dependent upon Him, for Him to keep His promises to us. And that it's only living by faith in the Lord that His promises that, that secure this covenant blessing for Abraham. And to not receive circumcision in Abraham, Abraham's day, to not live the life of faith, look what happens, verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off. The language is intentionally kind of funny there. Cut off from his people, for he's broken my covenant. You were cut off if you didn't get circumcised. You were done away with. You were unable to be a part of the people of God without the sign. Your foreskin was cut off to make you a physical child of Abraham, but your heart was operated on to become a child of Jesus. That's the difference here. And if not, if not in heart, you will be cut off forever. There's the connection for us. Only God can bring about salvation. So let's look a bit more to close today at the names as God gets specific of how the promises would come about. Our new name, Sarah, is a princess who will birth kings even in the face of laughter. God tells Abraham, you can't manufacture the people that will come from you. You can't manufacture a goodness that God will accept. The promises I will keep to you will come through Baron Sarai, who becomes Sarah. But really, the first thing about her name, Sarah has been a princess all along. Both names actually mean princess. Sarah is probably just an updated version of Sarai. And so this goes back to the name that her parents gave her, Sarai, when they named her. She's always been a princess. Not only would Sarah have a child, but nations and kings would come from her, not some other woman. This was God's plan all along that Sarah's given her new name. Because we know princesses become queens, and, and queens give birth to kings, don't they? Sarah means princess. 
And look at Abram's response in verse 17 there. He fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred? Shall Sarah, who is ninety, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Ishmael might live before you. Oh, that it might be him. Here's what we see. He laughs. And here, I think, when we look at laughter, it's a touching symbol of faith's struggle. Because he does laugh. It's kind of hard to understand what's going on with Abraham here. On the one hand, he bows in faith again with his life, with his body. He bows and believes God. But on the other hand, he's struggling to wrap his mind around this. And his mind must be racing. I'll be a hundred and a father Sarah will be 90 and a mother. Are you sure, God, Ishmael can't be the one who lives before you as the promised one? He believes, and yet at the same time, it seems just too impossible. Much like the mother of our Lord, Mary's response to the miraculous promise of the Messiah's birth, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How will this be, my wife's barren? Abraham might say. And isn't this a little more like the real-life picture of struggle we have in our faith, where there doesn't seem to be a way, God makes a way. Look at verse 19. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, another name. Sarai, Sarah, and now this fourth new name, Isaac. And Isaac means laughter, one who laughs where it looks like God isn't keeping his promise. What do we do as Abraham did? We wrestle in faith. We wrestle in faith and even wrestle with God as Abraham does. He's not throwing his faith away. He isn't mocking God with his laughter. As we will see Sarah do in a future story, her laughter is a little different, must be in heart. But he's shocked. He's awed. He's sent to the floor with the, the, just the hilarity of it all. Really? It's a touching symbol of how we struggle in faith and wrestle with God over what reality looks like, set up next to what the promises of God are. Sometimes laughter is appropriate as we wrestle and struggle. Really, God, there's a way through this? As we start a new year, we don't know what it's going to look like. We're all hoping better, right, in 2020. We don't know what it's going to look like. And we are going to find more surprises and more moments in this year to step out in faith as individuals. And as a church, we're going to find that. And may our instinct be like Abram's, to fall on our face and trust that there's going to be a way, even when there doesn't look like there's going to be a way. And struggle in faith, and then what? As Abraham does, respond in obedience. Obedience is faith's response. This is what Abraham does. The story concludes... In the final verses, he, God leaves Abraham and he gets up and he obeys God. And all the men of his house are circumcised. All of them. It's the beginning of God's covenant people in a way. In the same way that Pentecost is kind of the beginning of the church. What a dynamic day. <clears throat> what a strange day. Day of blood, pain, and laughter all mixed in together to produce this mighty act of obedience. I mean, for Abraham, 
circumcision was kind of the ceiling of, he's been wrestling with God for years. What about the servant that just moved in with Abraham? <laughs> you ever think about those guys? How'd that conversation go? You want me to do what, Abraham? <laughs> so what will it be for you this year? You want me to do what, God? Where will he ask you to obey where it looks like there is no way through it? Will God ask you to exercise integrity in your job? That might cost you your job. Will God bring a new illness in 2021 to you that requires you to hope more in your future body, not the one you have now? Will God ask you to address sin in someone else that might feel like it might destroy your relationship if you do it? But you're going to trust God anyways. Will God ask you to give up your idol of comfort? Maybe to serve more at Bethany Church or in your neighborhood? Will God take your financial nest egg away and ask you to trust in the treasures of heaven to come? Will He ask you to break off a relationship that isn't honoring to Him and trust your relationship with Him is enough? I don't know what the challenge is going to look like for each and every one of us, but there will be one individually. And there's going to be some corporately for us as a people. What challenge will we bring where it looks like there's no way through? And how will you then, how will you, how will you get the strength and faith and motivation to obey like Abraham did? And all those men in his family. Here's where we finish, by looking to Jesus. The obedient, cut-off king. You know, we don't look to circumcision the way God's people did under the old covenant. We kind of went through that this morning. But we do look to all the same promises that God made Abraham and his people, and we look to their fulfillment in Christ. We look to the table today as our covenant reminder. The elements today, these are symbols of the new covenant remember what Paul said about Jesus' words? He took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But it's more than that. You have to see that you don't have the power to circumcise your own heart. It's grace. It's an act of God that makes you acceptable to God. And what were the consequences in Abraham's day for one who was not circumcised, who didn't cut off his skin? He was cut off from the people. There's a slide to help us think through this. To not cut off your skin equaled meant you would be cut off from God's people. Well, none of us want that. But the problem of a sinful heart is so dire, so serious, so all-encompassing. We have spiritually dead hearts, too too stone-like for us to circumcise, it looks like there's no way, so what do we do? We flip that around. He was cut off from God so you could be welcomed in. He was the one cut off. He was the one rejected. His whole life he was rejected. He was taken outside, then at the end of his life, outside, cut off, outside the city walls to be crucified, cut off for you. 
And when he hung there on the cross, he was cut off spiritually too as he said, my God, my God, why have you cut me off? Why have you forsaken me? Do you want to have enough faith to impact, to make an impact in 2021? Bethany Church, do you want to have enough faith personally to obey when it will cost you? Look to faith this morning as we take these elements. Look to faith to the one who was cut off for you so you could be brought in. That's what these elements represent now. Think about it. Pain, blood, and laughter all mixed up again at the cross. There's your covenant sign. There's your promise right here. Let's take a minute as David comes up and plays some music for us and, and, and look to the covenant sign. Pray to God again. Ask Him to give you a new faith in 2021 that even though it looks like there might be no way in circumstances of your life, this is a guarantee that there is a way. Take a moment now and we'll take it together. Lord Jesus, may 2021 be a year of faith in your promises for us at Bethany Church. May it be one where we step out in ways that look unreasonable on the surface, but that are fueled by the reality of the resurrection, by the new covenant, the new covenant in your blood, the death on the cross, the life lived for us, the resurrection and, and resurrection life given to us. May these elements today symbolize this for us as we take them together, whether in this room or at home. We take them together because we live life together. You saved us together to live and glorify you together. That's why we do it. So bless these elements as we take them today, Jesus. The covenant came through blood and pain and brings about a, a hilarity that's almost impossible to believe. The bread symbolized his body, which he said to his disciples was cut off for them, was broken for them, torn in two for them. So now we take it believing that it was for us too. Let's take. There's a second tab there for your juice as you prepare that. Let's stand together. Listen to the words from Colossians where Paul writes about the circumcision of the heart. In Him, that's carrying the name of Jesus, Christian. In Him, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, there's our other symbol, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And that's what the juice represents. The blood and the pain so laughter could come to us. He was cut off so we could be brought in. Let's take. 